0: Welcome to UX Soup, a short-form podcast where you can join me, Lisa Cooper, as we go beyond the buzzwords and talk about the latest user research, technology innovation, and all things impacting user experience of personal devices and services, whether it be at home or on the go. As always, UX Soup is sponsored by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients all over the world with insights, analysis, and expertise. Last September, we spoke with two educators, one from a college and one from a high school, to gain their experiences and perspectives during an unprecedented time of change in education due to the COVID pandemic. We talked about the pain points of trying to meet the varying needs of so many stakeholders and users of an education system, from the students, the teachers, administrators and parents. So much had to be addressed in a short space of time to change schooling to a completely online or hybrid platform. If you'd like to re-listen to that episode, it's episode 11, titled Distance Learning, and we'll repost that link um, in the show notes. So today we're going to check back in with Renee and Chris. Renee is a dean of students at a school district with 40,000 students. Welcome, Renee. Hello. And Chris uh, is here with us today. He's a psychology professor at a technical college that also serves about 40,000 students. Welcome, Chris.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: So Chris, let's start with you. Uh, When we last spoke, you were running asynchronous classes as a way to bound your time and as a strategy to find quiet in a house of children who were at that time also schooling at home. What's your status now? Are you still doing asynchronous classes?
1: Uh, I am. I'm still doing asynchronous classes. Kids are still... Uh, From home to some degree, though, that is changing now. So uh, my older one is in uh, a hybrid model. So two days a week he's in classes and two days a week he is online. And then the younger one is still all online. He had the option to go back two days a week, but we kept him out for that, uh, waiting on my vaccination a little bit. And then he actually uh, will be going back four days a week. Uh, The younger grades are going back four days a week. Uh, starting in the fourth quarter so yeah so we are still in that situation still have a partner working from home as well so yeah it's still uh crazy here which is why i'm sitting on a kitchen chair uh using a tv tray uh in my bedroom at the moment because today is the day everybody's home and working and learning from home so
0: um and renee when we spoke with you last you were conducting i believe a mix of hybrid classes and online schooling correct
2: yep yep so we've got we had a couple things going on where teachers and students could choose to um, go with an online platform but they had to commit to the entire semester or the entire year because it's an entirely different curriculum process and then the students who decided to stay quote unquote like in person were doing their classes through google classroom and then you know i'm in arizona so <laughs> Everything went back full in person. So those students who were in Google Classroom and doing that from home came back to in person. The students who had decided to stay with those online classes continued online. Now, the biggest issue we've had then is if, as students get quarantined. So we've been quarantining an average 75 to 100 students a day, especially during November, December, January. The first question we have to ask is, do you need a computer? Do you need a laptop? Do you need, you know, and so that's kind of on their checkout process as they're exiting school to be quarantined and just, and because of exposures, not necessarily because of illnesses, but, and then our process is once a teacher sees in the attendance system that they have a queue for quarantine, they turn on their laptops, their their Google Meets, and that student can watch the class that's happening in school. They can watch it from home that has been successful in a way that teachers have been so creative with, like, I was observing a class one time, and she had, because she had four or five students in that class that had been quarantined, so she had Google Meet on, she had the students in class break off into groups to do an activity, and she opened up a laptop in each group, and the kids who were at home broke off into groups also. So they, you know, they're doing their best to, keep it interactive and have the students who are participating from home still participate. But you know, it's a struggle because probably only 50% of those students that are quarantined are actually accessing the Google Meets and doing that work. A lot of them are just doing it when they get back and they're kind of taking it as a two week vacation. Unfortunately, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and luckily it's, it's been minimized. Over the past three weeks or so, very few students have needed to be quarantined We all feel a small level of normalcy coming back. Unfortunately, a lot of those laptops that were lent out to students never came back. Uh, We're missing about 2,000 laptops. And so how do you then provide that tech for students who need to go home? Like, we're literally missing it. It's it's difficult.
0: 2,000 laptops?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no
0: recourse? There's no...
2: Well, here's the thing is that the policy is a student then cannot, it goes on their student account, just like a textbook, and a student can't graduate or transfer out to another school until they either return it or pay for it, but legally, we can't hold them to that. Yeah, that's what it comes down to, and a lot of them, and maybe slowly they will come back, but uh, yeah, it's definitely
1: an issue. I'm, I'm imagining we're going to have a similar sort of thing at the technical college level because they were handing them out as quickly as they possibly could to get them out to students with hotspots, but it'll be interesting to see how many actually have just disappeared. I think there'll be a little more teeth to our situation in terms of well, you can't register for classes if, if you didn't uh, if you don't return the laptop we loaned you. And you think about the loss of money and income uh, in a time where already budget constraints are going to be insane. That's sizable
0: Have there been any new insights or new learnings that have really supported your teaching with distance learning?
1: This afternoon we're going to be having a faculty meeting because our administration uh, has decided that uh, for fall semester they are going to they had originally planned to continue to do as much things online as we possibly could, but with vaccines rolling out and whatever they're trying to Nimbly Pivot, I believe, is the language. And so they've tried to add in a number of what they're calling a new mode of learning called Classroom Live, which is essentially what Renee's been describing and what my kids have been dealing with, which is there's a teacher in a room with students in the room and some who can be participating online at the same time. Different than what we were calling Online Live, which is uh, everyone's online, but it's happening at a synchronous time. Um, so now we're going to do this Classroom Live, and maybe some face-to-face classes. I think that's been the newest development. And I, you know, some people were really excited. I was kind of surprised at how many of our adjunct faculty were like, yeah, yeah, I'll teach, I'll teach face-to-face. I'll go back in the classroom. I think there were a lot of administrators were sort of complaining that a sort of a resistance among the faculty about going back into the classroom. And we had to kind of educate them that for some of us, this isn't about, oh, I'm having a cushy life at home teaching online. It's about, I don't know what my kid's school schedule is gonna be like in the fall. So I need to have the flexibility to be able to deal with it. If my kid goes to school full-time and then has to quarantine, well, someone's gonna be home with that kid. So I need the flexibility to do that. It isn't that I don't wanna be in the classroom. I'd love to be back having half my classes in the classroom again, but I need the flexibility to be able to adjust on the fly, like, oh, my kid's home for two weeks. So I think it's been interesting to see the the dynamics administration reading it as oh they got cushy being all online they all don't they don't want to come back to the class when that's not the reality for most of us at all <laughs> it's not cushy I miss my desk chair <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: we we have the issue we have with that model that you're talking about is we have students and parents who want to call in and aren't quarantined but they're self isolating. Or for whatever reason, they don't feel comfortable coming to school and they say, no, we're, I'm just going to turn on the Google Meets and watch the class at home. Well, they can't do that. That's not approved. So let's say in a given class, a teacher has three kids who are legitimately quarantined. Well, they're allowed to be let into Google Meet. So the teacher needs to allow them in. But then say she has two or three other kids who are at home because they're self-isolating or they feel uncomfortable coming to school or whatever. Well, they are not allowed in. Well, let's think about the minutes it takes to do that. No kid is on time to a Google meet. So the teachers there at the beginning, letting some kids in, kicking some kids out, and then he or she, they have to go on to teach the class. So after that, if that quarantine kid wasn't there exactly in those first one or two minutes, they miss, or the teacher can't go back and forth to letting kids in, and then most teachers are like, I just want them to learn. Why would I kick them out of the class? you know, kick them out of that Google Meet just because they're self-isolating. Why wouldn't I allow them that opportunity? Well, because legal, because they need to be in school. They need to be physically in school. No one gets to just choose to stay home for us. So the teachers are having a hard time with that. And logistically in the classroom, that's hard to go back and forth. You're in the middle of teaching. Then what do you do? Go and check to see if someone else wants into the Google Meet mid-class, and then cross-reference your attendance who has a Q code who doesn't it's hard
0: so this is very difficult especially as we're transitioning over with the vaccination schedule so you're being squeezed at both ends as an educator Um, if your kids are at home Chris you know having to (laughs) fulfill the needs in terms of school for them as well as what you're being asked to do as an educator as well
1: It reminds me of when I first started teaching online. The biggest thing that I didn't realize, I think, was that how bounded my life was in a classroom. I went to the classroom. I taught the class. I sat in my office. I did my prep. I did my grading. I went to the classroom. I did my prep. I did my grading in my office. When the workday was done, the workday was done. I could ignore and, you know, oh, sure, I would check my email periodically at night or on weekends. but. The minute you switch over to online, you become instantly always available. Even if you say, oh, I, I'll respond in 72 hours or I'm, you know, I have a busy family on the weekend, so I may not respond to you right away on the weekend, there's this expectation that you're more available constantly. And I think that reality is now going to be the reality for everybody in the way that it was only, I think, for probably administrators and online teachers mm-hmm. <laughs> before. I think if you're not ready for that and not able to create boundaries and structures for yourself to limit that, I think that's going to create a significant amount of stress for people in adapting.
0: This brings me to my next question, is what you think uh, will happen moving forward in terms of how technology will change the way you teach, the processes you've had put in place uh, during COVID, how moving forward that will change? Are there any, any of these things that you will keep? Any of these things that you will get rid of? It certainly seems like there'll be implications uh, just like you talked about Chris with your job moving forward and maybe others as well.
2: So in this situation where we had some students that wanted to uh, go 100% online and so they're going with that different curriculum model and they wouldn't be considered a brick-and-mortar student. There were situations where there was a class that they wanted that wasn't available online. Usually it was the arts or music or some kind of specialty class. So they were still, so they were, then they were considered a part-time student and they would go for five of their classes online, but be dropped off and picked up for that one class that banned art, you know, electronics, whatever class it was on campus, picked up and dropped off for that one specialty class. And, oh, oh my goodness, the, the scheduling is a nightmare. The planning is a nightmare. What do you do when a student is three classes in person and three classes online? Then you have to schedule them so that they're one day on campus, one day not, or else they're sitting in the library for two hours when they don't have a class. And then we're responsible for them then. We really were hoping that this was gonna go away, this option. Right. But unfortunately, families and students love it. They love that flexibility of being able to take classes when and where they want, at almost like a college level flexibility and freedom. So sure enough, in the fall, it is an option where they can choose to take maybe English and math online and science and all the other classes in person. So I have no idea what it's gonna look like this fall. Like we should have our numbers in the next week or so, so we know how to staff. Um, but that kind of scheduling, we're going to have to have a waiting location that's not the library for these students who are, because they're not so, you would think, oh, well, wouldn't you just open up a laptop and then do that class during your downtime? You know what? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Like it's, it's unorganized. it's chaotic. I'm sure it will work itself out, but families now saying, hey, we like this. It has put an extra, extra stress and burden on the school system.
1: It sounds like, again, we're hearing the college model shift down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, yeah, and I know our scheduling is going to be a nightmare as well. I mean, this fall, with just these two three classes that we as a department are going to have to figure out, great. But I can't imagine what our spring is going to look like because they're going to be the mix of classes. And there always was like a, a set cadre of us who taught online and an increasing number of adjuncts who started to realize that worked well for them and got trained to do it, but there weren't a lot of classes available. I think there's going to be more classes available online, but now there's going to be more of a fight because now everybody has taught online. And I can think amongst much of our faculty, I think there's only probably a small handful in our department who will be like, no, I want to be in the classroom. I don't want to teach online. I think that everybody is going to want some online classes and there's only a limited pool of them. And so there's gonna be a battle amongst the faculty about who's gonna get those online classes. And then this mix of models. I think the, the take-home is the genie's out of the bottle. And so everything is gonna be up, in the, up, in the, up for grabs. And you're right, Renee, I think it'll all work itself out in the end, but figuring out the logistics in the meantime as we make these transitions is gonna be really challenging for systems, for administrators, for faculty, and figuring out what works best as a balance for you. But I think it's gonna get more and more complicated. And those those friction points are going to be much more painful yeah. in the meantime.
0: So it'll be an interesting next six months to see how education is going to, you think, permanently change? Well, first
2: of all, with the budget cuts that have come down, um, that is the biggest change overall. So that that's going to be, I think, the biggest issue to work around. And those things like normally we would get new sets of laptops and new new technology for the students uh, you know starting the year fresh and that's not going to be happening a lot of those a lot of those things are going to are going to come.
0: If you don't have the laptops you don't have the technology potentially moving forward how does that support that new model of doing things in the future?
2: Great question.
0: (laughs) So that's going to be a challenge.
2: (laughs) It It is and I just went to a grant writing workshop and my first grant that I'm going to be writing is for technology. I would think that a student would have to confirm or guarantee that they have technology at home before they are approved to to choose these online classes. But I believe that if you wanna bring in that equity side, we can't require that of them. If they're in public school and they are choosing to do this at home, in order to be equitable, we need to provide that for them. So I'm sure some level will, We'll still be pulling laptops from schools in order to provide it for those students at home.
1: Well, and here in Wisconsin, we—if uh, I'm understanding it correctly—they're trying. I, I don't know if they passed it through the legislature or not, but part of the funding for schools was going to be based on how many days of in-person instruction your district had. So uh, they're trying to tie it to: if your school was all virtual, well, you're not going to get as much money. And it, and it, it it goes back to I think a fundamental ignorance that I've run into. St- all along in teaching online, which is that a lot of people don't understand the commitment of time, energy and resources. They think that doing online is cheaper, it's quicker, it's easier, it's whatever. And it's none of those things. It's just different. And so the reality of that financially is going to hit home too. that. And, and I can't imagine it at the level of administration, like, how are they going to deal with those those budget crunches? And yeah, equity issues I think are huge. You, you, you gotta be able to provide the stuff for people. Um, we see that at the college level, which is why we were giving out hotspots and laptops you know, uh, as much as we possibly could when we made this transition. Um, and it's still an issue for students coming in. Uh, one other thing, I, I'll just throw this in there, I don't know where it fits in, but it's, it goes back, I think we talked a little bit about this before, about you know we, we tend to think of this generation of students as being really technologically savvy, I think we overestimate that. And I think we talked about this last time a little bit. Yeah, we did. Um, on the one hand, it's been amazing to see my kids figure out Zoom. They understand Zoom, but I don't use Zoom as much. Like I use WebEx or other things, but like they use, they use Zoom constantly. So like they understand how it works much better than I do. So when we have like Cub Scout meetings, <laughs> they're like screwing around with filters and changing stuff and changing their names to goofy names and whatever. Like, <laughs> and so on the one hand, yeah, they're they're getting it because they're getting that playful experience with it Yeah. Um, in the way that many of us can't engage it as a playful experience. We have to like do the meeting. And so we can't play around with it as much. But I think they're not as savvy about some other very basic things. So for example, I have a class we use um, Blackboard as our course management system predominantly. So you know, I have a worksheet. So you download the worksheet, it's a Word document or a PDF, you download it, you fill in your answers and then upload it, right? Simple, easy, that's how you submit the assignment, hit submit, it comes to me, I can open the document, I can read it. I've had at least four or five students this semester who downloaded the document, hand wrote in their answers, took photographs of each of the six pages of the worksheet and uploaded six photographs in <laughs> as their assignment. Now, the great thing, yeah, that's great, except I can't read them. Right. A, because of their handwriting, but B, because it doesn't let me resize the document because it's now a photograph, and so I can't see it. So I had to specifically reach out to them and say, hey, You got the assignment in, it's in on time, I'm not worried about it. Is there any way you could like scan it (laughs) as a document? That would be a little better or actually type in your answers and send it so I can read it. I gotta imagine that it took you a significant amount of time to take photographs and upload them. (laughs) That was much greater than what it would have taken to like type in your answers and upload one document.
2: Well, and these are life skills that they're gonna need to know how to do for the workforce.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it also points to our, our, our reliance on mobile technology and phones. I think that there's this mentality that I could do everything on my phone. And there is still some things, I think, in education that I know they're, you know, cutting edge stuff is make everything mobile, all the online learning systems mobile. Well, it doesn't work as well, being able to grade things wise, like it just doesn't work, even on like a large Apple you know, tablet, it still doesn't function the same as it does on a on a computer, on a desktop or a laptop. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Our students have figured out how to open up a Google Doc in their school programs, share it with multiple students, and then chat on the Google Doc back and forth. And, uh, so, and I get those notifications when they start cussing because of our software, student protection software, that alerts me when they are saying inappropriate things and then I've got to call the mom and say, hey, would you please check what your child is doing on the Google Doc? So luckily that's not working, that's not happening as much now that we are back in person, but they figured that out. They should be able to figure out how to upload a document.
0: Well, as always, I love talking to you. I learned so much today. I think we should really check back in with you um, in another six months.
2: We'll have a glass of wine in that one too. Yeah. With
0: alcohol. Oh, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you. You are so welcome. Thank you for having us.
0: Yes. Absolutely. A reminder that UX Soup is presented as always by Stratchy Analytics. Check out our latest user focused insights at sa-ux.com. And please also remember to subscribe, like, or review UX Soup on your favorite podcasting platform or by visiting our show page at ux-soup.com. You can also visit the show page to follow myself or Chris on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.